Welcome to Afterlives of Ancient Egypt, in which we discuss ancient history and relevant current events. I'm Kara Cooney, and I love to take deep dives into history that are not always possible in academic formats. So let's get started. Hello. Hello, hello. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm, I have released the weight of the book. Yes. I feel like you guys have been following along in a way because that's whenever I ask you how you are, it's always book updates. It's always, oh, we're so tired. Oh, this, oh, that. But now um, the book Major has been... Major step, yeah. Yeah, we tried to upload it. It was too big because of all the pictures because it's almost a thousand images. And so I had and to drive yeah, it to Rancho Cucamonga color. in a hard drive form and then... It wouldn't appear the on the computer. The com it killed the computer. Yeah. The hard drive killed the computer. We had to reboot it, and then and then it wouldn't recognize it. And I had to call Kylie, and Kylie was freaked out. And it was just you know everything's typical. Now. Everything's fine. Well, no, I mean it was there. Let me just say that the book has been delivered to the publisher. That doesn't mean that publisher isn't going to come back to me yes. without any issues. But you know, we did all the InDesign ourselves, and they didn't think it looked like ass looks great so i think that's really good I think it looks it's wonderful. really really good yeah you know and the major work is done yeah I would say. so i've kind of been relaxing like yeah. you know but you have all these new projects on the horizon i i do but i don't feel like working on any of them yet <laughs> well, which is interesting though i did break. but i did right after we finished the book shoot two classes with mm -hmm. derek Lambert of Myth Vision, and those will be out soon. One on Great. funerary religion, and the other one on cosmology and cosmogony, cool. and that'll be fun. So, so we're going to start doing classes, which is really cool. Oh, yeah, it's a great option, and so many people are into podcasts these days, yeah. and other ways of consuming, mm -hmm. you know, material and history and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So, um. Definitely a great option. So I guess once those are out and released, we can share those. And yeah, can, we'll talk about them. People, we'll talk about them. Um, how, if you're interested. Yeah. Um, but today... Yes. We have a fun topic. Amber and I chatted earlier this week and we were like, what should we talk about this week? Like, we have so many options in our, like, episode list. Yeah. Episode idea list. Yeah. So it's always hard to choose one. Um, but we both, I think, we're, we gravitated towards magic and medicine. Yeah. I think just... That's a fun topic. You know, what's the difference? Is there a difference? All these and, terms. And, you know, we're on the tail end of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so many the people, WHO just said it's now over. Whatever. whatever so many. They also said so many people have long COVID and we need ventilation. Or maybe that was the CDC. We still have like a thousand people dying a week. Yeah. So, yeah. But know. But many people I know are sick. Many people and have I, long COVID. I think magic and medicine is much needed mm -hmm. in the population. Yeah. You know what I think. Thinking I think that it, yes. as modern medicine fails us in micro and macro ways, whether it's at the doctor and we're not believed or we want something and they won't give mm -hmm. it to us or the insurance won't pay for it. As the medical, yeah. the traditional medical system, or sorry, the modern medical Western, system fails, yeah. people I think are looking for other options. And I don't think it was any different in the ancient world that doctors in many ways are like glorified car mechanics of the human body. And sometimes it can approach a bit of butchery or quackery or cruelty. And people look for something else that gives them a holistic wellness that treats body and mind. If you want to call it magic and denigrate it, okay. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm all for it. I'm all in. Well, and things being <laughs> restricted to, you know, the super elites or something. Yeah. And they don't get access to these so-called, quote-unquote, doctors right. as we translate the terms. 
but that they're going with more folk medicine, you know, pass down tradition, knowledge through their family, through the village. Herbal know. lore. People yeah. realize that having tried a, and true methods, having a strong meditative state mm -hmm. can help to connect with your body mind, and calm body things. Health, yeah. Absolutely. And the mind body connection, right? I, I think we're learning more and more about that too, of like healthy gut, being healthy mind and everything's are very much connected, diet. Eating seasonally, kind of yeah. not eating, th like when you hear, I, I read this really interesting article about how we're, we're not supposed to eat whole grains and this whole craze mm -hmm. of the macrobiotic, whole brown rice and whole mm -hmm. bread. Medieval people didn't eat that way, whether in China or Japan or yeah. or Europe. They made sure that their grains were ground and that they removed the outer casing yes. because it was inflammatory. It made people very sick. Mm. It it ruined your gut biome. They didn't call it that, but having those white grains was was actually better for your health. Mm -hmm. So there are lots of things that we we think we're improving on from the ancient world, but we're not really. And it's so tiring. At least I find it in the news where it's like. One week, they're like, this is good for you. Yeah. And then the next week, they're like, a new study announces this is bad for you. It's yeah. like, I don't know, alcohol, I feel like wine. Yeah. Or coffee or something. Yeah, and now it's like, bad again. Now it's bad. Now yeah. no alcohol. Yeah. And then, like, a new study will come out and they'll say, you know, one glass is good or whatever. I just want to eat like my grandma and, yeah. you know, eat like my, my nana. I would never say grandma. Sorry. Sorry, nana. And um, <laughs> that's too Midwestern. She lived in Chicago, but the grandma people were way Protestant, so we would never. So I just want to eat like my nana, you know, turn five, she poured a healthy martini and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I Yeah. yeah. So Everything I'm, in moderation. Yeah. And I think so much of it is when they always interview those people who turn like a hundred and they're like, what's your, and a lot of it is like being happy. Yeah. You know, it's not so much like the people smoke and they drink and they eat candy and stuff, but it's like, they just are happy people. Yeah. And I think, you know, all these things, moderation contributing to just being a fulfilled, happy person and not being whatever. It's true. But. For today's episode, we're going to be focusing on ancient Egyptian magic mm -hmm. medicine. Mm -hmm. And I think, of course, we have to start with the first terms, right? Yeah. So I've already called out one yes, of them. Yes. And so, so let's we, have go to, there. we have to get into this, right? Yeah. So we differentiate between magic and medicine. Right. Magic being something that is effective. Yeah. Or sorry, medicine being something that is effective yeah. and scientifically backed. Yeah. Um, a something that maybe is like FDA approved, that a professional doctor who's went through training prescribes to you um, versus medicine, typically denigrated, something as fringe. Something you something can't that see, you can't prove. Doesn't have scientific backing. Involves incantations and spells, yeah. physical or maybe verbal. Religious in some way. It might involve astrology, doing things in a certain time of the year, day or night, rising of a certain star yeah. or planet. So like as diametric opposites in a sense, almost, yeah. right? In yeah. our very Western idea of magic yeah. and medicine. How would the Egyptians, would they have differentiated at all? Um, how did they understand these two in regards to like curing illness, right? Obviously right. magic has a lot of other elements to it. Um, but in regards to like cures for ails and ways of dealing with illness and sickness and disease. I I think it's a harder question than we would automatically say. I mean, the, what's the what's the knee-jerk reaction is to say, no, they didn't differentiate and every practitioner mm -hmm. of medicine was also magical yep. and many medical practitioners were priests. Which is true. We priests. have titles. Yes. Right? So a lot of people who have the title that we translate as doctor also were priests. Usually. Right. Um, Sunu. Sunu. Yeah. Um, and, and so 
in a way, no, it's a, it's a complete hodgepodge and it's all mixed up. And yet, when you read the medical papyri, you do see medicine being practiced in that more car mechanic mm-hmm. way where the human body is a vessel that like a boat, they didn't have cars, yeah. <laughs> like a, a boat could be fixed, right? Yeah. You could plug a hole, you could, you could um, bail it out, you could fix the rotting wood. You know, you, you have to get in there sometimes. Yeah. You have to remove a tooth. And removing a tooth is just going in there, knowing what tool to use, mm-hmm. knowing how to grab onto the tooth, having the experience to do it, know how to pull it out, know how to seal that back up when you're done. I mean, mm-hmm. these are very mechanical ways of dealing with the human body. If if uh, somebody is dealing with dysentery, um, how do you stop somebody from constantly pooing? What herbs might you use? Mm-hmm. And you know which ones are going to have that, that effect, mm-hmm. then... I mean, opium is the most obvious herb that's going to have that effect. It's very, Mm -hmm. it works very well. And you'll know, okay, we, we break out the laudanum or whatever they, you know, would have called it in the ancient world. It would be, it would be useful. And you don't need to bring a spell into that. That's your mechanical. It almost feels like the spells are the last resort if other things don't work. Or the spell is in combination with a very practical thing. The spell is there as a, as a way I think of making it less base less mechanical, less like I'm going to treat your human body like a piece of meat, mm-hmm. which when I go to the dentist, you go to the dentist, I got gum surgery once. Oh my God. Let me tell you, I felt like I was just, I I, I had to take three volume to get through Those that are, experience. Yeah, that intense. was, that was very intense. My dad had that too. Right? Oh, so hard. And, and you're awake the whole time. And I was like, this is what it's like in the ancient world is I'm trying to listen to talk radio. So I don't hear what they're saying yes. because when I heard them talking, it started to freak me out even mm-hmm. more and I'd get panicky. And so I had to sit still, right? But I think that the spells set the ground for bringing in the mechanical. And provides comfort. Provides comfort, calms right? the patient down. Yeah, medicine back in the day. As I, I, There's a book I recently read about early, like, you know, 1800 surgery, and it's called The Butchering Arts, right? Oh, like, so true. That was, you know, surgery and all that stuff was like, you probably were going to die of infection or something else. It was like not as finest in like art skill as it is today. But let's think of something that might go wrong, like something that you could get fixed easily. You like, broke your leg. You broke your leg. Okay, you so you've broken your leg. Say it's a 10-year-old boy who's broken mm-hmm. his leg, fallen out of the date palm tree, yep. picking some dates. And it snapped. And it snapped. And and we have texts about this, actually. And everyone's screaming, and everyone's like, oh, my God, what do we do? They bring in the sunu. Mm-hmm. Um, before you start to pull that bone back into place and wrap it and set it mm-hmm. with the splint and all of these things, you want to call on the gods. Mm-hmm. You want to, you know that something inauspicious has just happened. Yeah. That in some ways that that magical realm in which you live has, has just hurt mm-hmm. someone. And you now need to propitiate and beg forgiveness or ask for another God to step mm-hmm. in and help. But you're, you're trying to create a calm, um, auspicious setting mm-hmm. in which to do your very painful operation that will hopefully heal and the know situation. that like infection was always a possibility yeah. and yeah. though we do have some antibacterial options not a, not a you know f- given and so always hoping that a god will 
look out for you or help in your healing process and guide and the do, hands of the surgeon. And, or and how do you know what's going to get infected and what's not? So say you break yeah. your bone, it doesn't break the skin, and all of a sudden it turns red to the touch. Mm -hmm. Something's happened. And You're, the person gets a fever or You something. have this high yeah. fever. What do you do? Then you better get praying. And I'm sorry, but when your kid has 105 fever in the middle of the night or is screaming from an ear infection, mm -hmm. um, what do they say? There's no atheist in a foxhole? Well, it's exactly the same. And so this denigration of magic, and I know Egyptologists don't denigrate magic, no. but I think we... You know, when we talk about... But terming it as something different than medicine. If right? I went the Egyptians, out, they just would have kind of couched it in like treatment options. Yes. It but if I went separate. out to one of those, you know, 24-hour psychic places and parked in the lot and walked in and I told everyone at work and said, oh, yeah, I went to the psychic. So I think in this faculty meeting we should do this. Yeah, my pancreas is bothering me, but I went to the psychic. We're all good. Exactly. Yeah. People would be like, what the hell is wrong with you? Yeah. You need mental help. And they would not laud it or support it as a viable option they now. would treat it as a quackery mm -hmm. that needed to be quashed so so there you know we have our biases and some of this magic will allow lucky things at a baseball mm -hmm. game um prayers to particular yeah, divinities before surgery or after surgery but a lot of it we we still very much mm -hmm. we, we have this modern exceptionalism um mm -hmm. and i hope having been through this pandemic and knowing that we can't control what nature brings us. Mm -hmm. um, and even if you think, oh, it's, this is a conspiracy and the Chinese created this and that's why they had a zero per tolerance policy because they they knew what it was. You know what? Human beings are still animals and they created it. So if, that, if that's what yeah. happened, then it's still quite natural when you look at it that way. And um, it is not alien born is, wh is yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah, come on a meteorite. Yeah, yeah. So. And so much of... I mean, I think your point, too, about us feeling superior because we understand the workings of the body yeah. and all these things more than the ancient Egyptian did. And they, you know, um, like proto, like humoral, humoral theory and mm -hmm. all this, like, but the, you know, regardless, there are a lot of times working with observation. Like when you read these medical texts, it's very much like if you see this right. list of symptoms, right. then do this treatment, like diagnosis, it's this. Yeah. And then treatment options, it's. They're obviously working with what they have, a lot of trial and error, what works, what doesn't work. Um, so it's a it's a very like scientific, quote unquote, when we think of like the scientific method. Yeah. It's a very scientific way they're going about these things. But you often see sometimes like say the spell over the ingredients that right. then you are gonna mash up and turn into a paste and then apply to the to the patient's illness or whatever. Yeah. Like if they have a sore. Um, and part of the proper technique is saying that spell correctly or having the correct items and things like this. Mm -hmm. um, having picked an herb yeah. under a particular auspicious condition, having said a particular spell, then and that I will be more effective. I feel, I, you know, and a lot of hospitals nowadays are religiously related hospitals still. I can't believe there aren't prayers being said before major surgeries by the maybe surgeon themselves or... If it's Judeo-Christian, then it's yeah. not magic. And it's not yeah. magic. Yes. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So when we're talking about ancient Egyptian magic medicine, um, what sources do we have to look at to investigate these things more? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So. Yeah. So the, the first set of sources, the most obvious would be m magical medicine texts. Yeah. But there's a, you know, people are people. Everyone has a human body. You don't have mm -hmm. to be literate or be able to read and write or be a specialist to create your own medicinal 
-hmm. aids and supports. And so you could also look at the archaeological record and see, oh, a prosthetic toe Mm -hmm. made of wood. Mm -hmm. Of course, that was for a very rich man who was mummified and all of these things. And it's a very nice wooden toe. It's a nice toe. Um, British Museum. I think there's another one. I think there's a couple toes, big toes. a couple prosthetic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But you could look at you could look at dolls or human figurines that might suggest mm-hmm. that kind of mm-hmm. uh, spell crafting or protection. Um, you could look at a tomb and maybe look at the kinds of foods that are put in mm-hmm. a tomb as offerings. Mm-hmm. That might be some of these things might have a medicinal property or aphrodisiac quality. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, texts are the first. Texts are our most insightful. Research, I think. Yeah. Amulets. We have these mm-hmm. like healing. Uh, the healing statues of later periods. Um, like, you know, when people donate the amulet in the shape of the limb or yeah. body part, they are hoping to somehow be interceded upon by the deity. But yeah, so we have a bunch of magical medical papyri, just to list some, you know, the Berlin medical papyrus, the Carlsberg papyrus, Chester Beatty, Demotic magical papyri of London and Leiden, Ebers papyrus, Edwin Smith, I think those are the two most popular, Hearst, the Cahoon gynecological papyrus, which is maybe of interest to some, that's focused totally on women's health issues, uh, London medical papyri, so we have a bunch. And um, you can specialize in this, so yeah, you can be an expert. whole books. I was, when I was yeah. doing some research, I was reading like whole books on all these papyri. Yeah. And, um, so, and they're and really hard to work with. They are hard to work with because so many of these words are not hapaxes, but like just like very, you know, contextual. Like, and what's a hapax for our uh, audience? Only one instance. Yeah. You know, where you've so got that word in this papyrus, and that's only. it. Like, say you look it up in the Wörterbuch, which is our German big, big dictionary with everything in it. And so this you're on only TLA and, and they're like, yeah, this is the only attestation. Yeah. You know you're dealing with that. And the that. ways of describing things, we kind of have to translate into our medical knowledge because they are not looking at it the same way. So when they say worms of the something, you're like, what? And it's like, oh, they have ring, like they have round worm or whatever in their feces or something like this or cloud milkiness of the eye and you're like that's a cataract so you have to kind of take it through a a couple translations yeah not just translating the words but translating and these are interpretations obviously people argue about what exactly is this illness they're talking about um and you can debate that for days but yeah yeah cloudiness of the eye people assume means they're just talking about cataracts or something like this and so it, it does they are kind of harder to penetrate um, a lot of weird terms that you don't come across yeah. otherwise. Um, but they are very, I think they're fun. Like when we always learn hieratic, you always translate some of them. And, and, and so many of the words have this sign at the end that's a pustule. Yes. And we use the word pustule to, to talk about it. It's, it determines words of the body, words of of um, boils or mm-hmm. some sort of weeping wound yes. or <laughs> gross human things. Mm-hmm. You, they actually had a hieroglyph for the pustule. Yeah, like, yeah to show. It's like a pimple, it like is. a pimple ready to be popped. It is, but it's kind of popping. It's yeah. like, it's, it's like a draining. Pimple, yeah. It's like a draining boil. Yeah, it is. It's a draining boil. That's what, I mean, pustule, that's what it is. And to have that as a determinative gave you an idea. Of what they were dealing many with. Many of these imagine. words... Skin issues they had. Yeah, describing things that are of the skin and of the flesh that are like just, you know, infections that you have to drain and lance and deal with. It's just, yeah, it it got pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, I think we have to also remember that things that I think we take for granted about like cleanliness and 
access to, you know, over-the-counter drugs that are really easy. You know, yeah. you get a sometime a boil or a wart or something. It's like really we have ways of getting, you Can know. Can I touch on that really fast? Yeah. Like right now we see our, because of COVID, but but other things I would I would argue, we see our life expectancy in the United States in particular going down mm -hmm. for the first time in what, 70 years especially since World War II, especially for people of color. We see in the United States extraordinary income inequality and access to health care. And, and, and you see the number of women dying in childbirth yes. and the babies dying in childbirth skyrocketing in, in the numbers. So this income inequality and this um, interest in making money off of humans in whatever way they can in our society, in our capitalist society, whether that be through housing or through healthcare or through childcare or yeah. whatever it is, um, the the ability to have good health and live till you're 80 or 90 is a weird 70 year blip of the modern global world. And not all of the globe benefited from this. You would say parts of global Europe- Global North, I would say. Global North, yeah, yeah, that works. Parts of Europe and the United States, Australia, you know, benefited and, and only part of the people in mm -hmm. these places. but. But as a whole, you look at the average, the last 70 years have been awesome. And what did we create in the last 70 years? But antibiotics. Yeah. And now we are seeing that antibiotics are not the cure-all that we thought they were, and they actually are biting us back by creating- They're a very double-edged sword. Yes, double we have created antibiotic-resistant scourges that are now, and antifungal scourges mm -hmm. we're now reading, yeah. that are coming after us. And I think, I dare say, we feel, <laughs> we feel a little more ancient than we used to. And here in Los Angeles, the home of the homeless, you can very much see what it would be that's like. Right, yeah. I'm not saying ancient people were like homeless people no. because that's, to see people living in a more primitive state in your immediate surroundings with with skin lice, mm -hmm. with parasites, mm -hmm. with um, things without in their hair. Without basic necessities. Yeah, we, without basic know, clean water. Basic necessities and... Basic hygiene. Then you're like, yeah. okay, this is what happens to the human body. And they just released a study in Los Angeles, I think it was for Los Angeles County that talked about how many people, and this is dying of drug overdoses, it's yeah. a different thing, but the number of people who die as homeless people from bodily issues is also much yeah. higher than the regular population. So yeah, now- just like the magic of like soap. The magic of soap, you know, the like magic of the, having a sink or a shower yeah, or and, water. And clean water. And access to yeah. that on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, a softer place available. to sleep, um, sleep and not having to be moved every two seconds yeah. because you're in somebody's way and you don't, you can't sleep on that doorstep. No one lets you doorstep. be. Yeah. yeah. So I think that we're now starting to see more of what it meant to be constantly on the alert in the ancient world about your health, yeah. about your body. All we do is talk about health. And I don't think our group is any different from all of these other groups. Mm -hmm. Is people like, oh, the COVID did this to me, or I'm I, I am disabled. But it was a mass disabling event, this mm -hmm. COVID mm -hmm. um, pandemic. And I think there's more sympathy, I dare say, for, I think for magic. <laughs> yeah. Or like for some good old fashioned not magic. Not to be taken for granted, I think. Yeah. A little bit more awareness of how precarious our situations can be. Yeah. And how something very, you know, natural like a pandemic or you antibiotic can take somebody away like a thief in the night. You They're can just, just gone. Die They're very gone. Easily. And so yes. maybe more Or be forever different. To the ancient kind of idea about things and applying maybe these other treatments like magic or religion or something like this because yeah. it provides you some other way of control. I also think and 
tea. I suspect you're going to get into this, but you know I also go. A little, I always go a little um, social historian in mm-hmm. anything that we talk about. But the power and control that the purveyor of magic has mm-hmm. is also very sought after, but can also have can be a double-edged sword. For instance, for the last about 2,000 years, um, 1,500, we have had Judeo-Christian, really Christian um, Western, in the Western world, Christian magic mm-hmm. applied. And don't say it's not magic. You're going to go stand at an altar with incense all around it, and you're going to go through a step-by-step magical spell to put a spirit of a god into yeah. some bread I mean, magic that everyone just... eats. That's magic, and it's very Egyptian style when or you get down to, to it. Rub something, yes. touch something for good luck, or yeah. And last rites, and you put anointing oil on somebody. That is very old magic mm-hmm. to change the state of a person. But it's it's well, magic. Cr- is just like subversive religion. I guess but they're the same thing. I or we just say it's Christian magic. You know, yeah, it's it's Christian Ritual, magic, magic, whatever you like. Everyone term it. And so Christian magic has been allowed. Right. Mm -hmm. But other kinds of magic have been disallowed and considered quackery and gross. But I think as Christian magic has become more cruel to society with the control of women's bodies, commodification Mm -hmm. of women's bodies, control of children, uh, control of non-binary people and trans people, Mm -hmm. I think magic is more and more attractive to people. There's more sympathy for that ancient understanding. But you can also see in the ancient record when those priests got too controlling of their specialized skills mm-hmm. and people would find other alternatives. People are always finding other alternatives. Yeah. Always. If you don't, if you as a specialist are going to charge too much, you're going to be too difficult. Or I'm going to go find effective. somebody else. You find somebody else or you do it yourself. So much of this is like word of mouth and yeah. like who knows, like, you know, your kid's sick. Yeah. You know, in your community and you're like, oh, you should go to the wise woman, which we'll talk about later on. But like, Who's the one who would know in your community? Who do you all trust? Who yeah. do you know has helped people in the past? Like, you might not go to, like, the head priest at this temple that, like, you don't have an actual relationship with. You might go to your um, ancestor who and ask them to help you because you have a more immediate relationship with them rather than some god who's, you know, more separate from you. Yeah. Um, and people, as you say, would have done this scientifically. Don't tell me people yeah. aren't rational even exactly. with their magic. Oh, yeah. If they make... If they do some beer over the sippus and collect it, mm-hmm. and then they give that to their three-year-old and it didn't work, and that three-year-old died, they're yeah. gonna they're gonna maybe find a different. What is a ritual, tack. but an exper- like a scientific experience? You're following mm-hmm. a set protocol. My hypothesis with a given is. result <laughs> you're hoping for. It's yeah. like very similar. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, there's intention behind it. All this stuff. It's it's very similar. So before we get too much into like examples and all this kind of stuff. When we're talking about magic yeah. and the word we translate into into English as magic, into yeah. um, Eastern, you know, Latin-based languages as magic, which obviously comes from Greek, which comes, interestingly enough, from Persian, oh. from the Magi. Oh, yes. Um, so that's adopted through. It's like the Greeks didn't have any imagination to come up with magic on their they were own just like without the Persians. The Magi, yeah. Brilliant. So and then the Latin just, uh, Romans just adopted over. What's the Egyptian word for it? And do you think it's actually appropriate that we translate it as magic? Or do you think the term, as we were talking about, is too weighty, too maybe um, subversive, and it should just be like ritual? Or or like, do you think magic is, is good? Or should we nuance it more? Yeah, it doesn't quite work, does it, as an exact 
parallel to magic or magi astrologers, mm -hmm. people who are following. So what's the word? The the word is Heka. Yeah. And Heka, I mean, it's a hard term to even like describe. Let me start with how it's described in the Memphite mm -hmm. theology, which is that you start with Sia perception in the heart of what it is that you want to to create. Mm -hmm. And then you use the the tongue, the row, and then you speak with your tongue, um, ness, ness, or um, you could just say row, your utterance, mm -hmm. but your, your mouth. That's more right? your mouth. Yeah, yeah. Ness is like tongue, tongue. But you but you speak with that, and you form the different words, mm -hmm. and what puts it together, what makes it come into being, is heka. Mm -hmm. And now, what's heka? Is it it's not magic in that like, you're doing a spell at a certain time in a certain order. Like, okay, if I'm going to, let me start over. If I'm going to, and not start over, like you have to edit this yeah. out, but start over. In that if, if I'm going to give you the de my definition of magic, it is that you, you have a wish for something and you have a practical way of getting it. That can be verbal or mechanical, mm -hmm. but you go through a series of expected steps and that is meant to magically create what you want. And I think it's different from like, I believe in God yes, or, yeah, yeah. or um, the gods are among us or the ancestors are with us. That's not magic. You're not, if, but if you go to your ancestor and you say, dear ancestor, and you write them a letter and you mm -hmm. place it in front of their tomb and you verbalize that letter and you light some incense or whatever you have and give them an offering and you do a series of steps, then it's magic. It almost reminds me almost of like the force in Star Wars, like some like. Well, wait, you're going back to Heka. Heka, sorry. Yes. Okay. So, so there's my definition of magic, magic which yeah. is like step by step. I want this. I'm going to do these things. Yeah. Yes. Intention, but also um, a mechanical way. And it doesn't have to be an orthodox oh, way. Like you could, yeah. you could go to the grave of your ancestor and make up your spell right there in the moment, mm -hmm. but you're still going step by step. First, I will. I will light some incense. Second, I will offer some milk. Third, I will make the prayer. Fourth, I will, and you close it. You say goodbye. Mm -hmm. But you have like a series of things that you go yeah. through. A and ritual. That, yes, a ritual process. Um, you could say ritual. Um, you could say practice. It's a little less. But you can do ritual without any clear need for something to happen. Like you have your morning yes. ritual and your need is that you just need to be up and out of the door. It's not necessarily magic. Whereas if your morning ritual includes that you want to like seduce your neighbor's husband, then so you might throw in some magic. The ask. Yeah, it's the ask. But you're but hoping it's, to, the result, what you're hoping to What get you're out hoping of it. for, then you want the result. So you want something specific and that's how you make it happen. Mm -hmm. And so it's more end result. How do I get that end result? Yes. Yeah. And I don't think, though, I would have to talk to somebody who does this work more than I do. I don't know if there's a word that really hits upon Which that. Which is similar to medicine, right? You have an end result of curing illness, yeah. disease, whatever. Yeah. And then here's how you do that. So so then heka. So when you're talking about heka, it's much more abstract. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that if we're talking about magic in the modern Western concept or Greek coming from mm -hmm. ancient Iran, then I would say you have to include all of it. It's sia and it's the tongue, the ness, and it's the mm -hmm. um, the heka that puts it together. The heka would then be that mysterious binding life force. force. Like you said, like in Star Wars, yeah. the force. So like some type of binding totally force agree. that 
makes things effective in a, a very Egyptian sense, right? To be an effective ach. It's what makes it come into being. Yeah. It's so you can have all the intention the in the world, but if you don't have the right, the right power, you won't be able to make it happen. And so then, my subsequent question is: Does everyone have access to Hega, or do you need to be a cer certain of a practitioner, like a priest, or do, do priests have more Hekau? Well, Heka, in my opinion, is always pulling from the gods. The yeah. gods have Heka in abundance. We do not. We go to the ancestors who go to the gods, or we go directly to the gods. So a priest is nothing more than a conduit mm -hmm. who knows how to use magic, um, siya, tongue, you know, the verbalization of it, um, to, to pull the magic in from the gods. And they have the manifestation of that Heka and everything put together as in like these spells that then they are casting or working. Because Heka comes to, from to call like, on that Heka. You could say it comes from the Ba or the Ka of the god, the Ba'u, the powers, mm -hmm. um, the Ka, the life force, that you pull Heka from that. Mm -hmm. And a divinity is, you know, a divinity is able to craft these things, but a normal person, if they want to heal their baby with their 105 degree fever, they can recite all the prayers they want, but the prayers are ineffectual if you're not pulling from the divinity and pulling that Heka in, in the, in the ancient mindset, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I would say. So mm -hmm. in short, this is very complicated because it's a very yeah. abstract discussion, but Heka is, is much broader and much less practical in some ways. It's like w the mystery uh, in a Catholic mm -hmm. upbringing when you when you go through your catechism and they say and you say, "Well, how can there be three divinities in one? How working. does the Trinity yeah. work?" Mm -hmm. And they say, "Oh no, you can't understand it's that." Beyond human. That's the mystery, yes. you yeah. know? But the fact that there can be three gods or three manifestations Aspects, of yeah. one god, then that's that's Heka mm -hmm. in a sense. Well, and who which goddess is the where at Hekau? Oh, we don't know, right? Isis, though. Yes, but where at Hekau? Isis is called Mistress of Magic yeah. all the time. Yes, yes. But many divinities are called Mistress of Magic, but, and she performs a lot of Hekau. She does. She has very. She has lots of spells and incantations that she casts, and has access to, I think, this realm or whatever mm -hmm. this 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 substance mm -hmm. um, that others don't. Hekau does also get personified later on. It's a snake, a female snake. Yeah, and like in Ptolemaic temples is represented as a god. Yeah. So, but this is obviously much later when Ptolemies are messing with I mean, Ma'at is depicted as a yeah. god, goddess, mm -hmm. and, and there she is as this abstract notion of what is justice mm -hmm. and truth. And balance. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, how are we to understand that? How are we to translate it? These things are so culturally specific. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't always work. But if you just say, okay, magic in the Western sense, and you combine it to the whole step-by-step -step process that the Egyptians are using, then it, then it's okay. Yeah. Then I think it works really mm -hmm. well. It works really well. Yeah. So in a broad term, it's magic, but. And not think of your, any medicinal spell you do. You've got to have your your conception of what it is you want to do, your yeah. recipe, your step-by-step, -step, mm -hmm. your training, whatever, you yeah. know what you want. And then number two, you need to communicate it in some way. You might write it, you might speak yep. it, you might say something to the patient, whatever it is. And then to make all of that happen, you need your force that binds to get it all together. And I think in modern medicine, part of our modern medicine, Heka, is the trust you have 
that in the pill that is can, a placebo that can be, or not that can be broken obviously which a lot of people have yeah. very negative experiences with modern medicine yeah which is part of their rupture with it right and then yeah. they're seeking out these other things but initially you have this trust that it will work that it's effective that the doctor is doing what's best for you and is looking right. out for you right um and i think that in a way could be viewed as like part of this magic right that yeah. um it's maybe not it's like money it's like made up right but like you're trusting that they're prescribing something that will fix you and help you and yeah we have the placebo effect where you can take something that actually is not doing anything to you but you're cured yeah and um all these types of things and so i think so much of it is this feeling trust and feeling like it's effective and believing that it will work and that you could almost see as like a modern medicinal magic in a sense. So much of this is making me think about how medicine today and in the ancient world is very much about poisons, it's about, yeah. about turning, about taking something that is a, an herbal poison and using it against the ill, to, like for chemotherapy, mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. instance, um, or taking something that is the god that snatches the children from the riverbank, the hippo, and turning her Doing into Tawaret, yeah. or taking the, the the person's pain in the tooth and ripping it out of their head. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a it's it. You have to do more pain to then relieve exactly. the pain. Exactly. Yeah, it's so, like ironic, or it's like feels antithetical or something. But it's yeah. always been this way. Yeah. It's always been this way. You can't to set have, your bone. You have to cause more pain to set it. You have we'll a heal. big splinter. If you don't do anything about it, it's no. going to be Fester. a big problem. Yeah. You have to get it out and you have to sit there patiently and wait for somebody to cut that shit out yeah. of your hand or wherever and it is. I think we always say this with like children or like pets, right? I wish I could explain to them, yeah. right? Like what's happening to them because to them it's like they don't like i don't know with a pet right you're saying like i'm gonna put you i'm putting you through this like traumatic situation right. but it's for your own good and it's like i wish i could tell them it's part of that, our maturing process it's but, what like, makes you don't, us adults you know don't if you someone's like if it's a kid or a cat or a dog or whatever you can't explain it to them and so it's like you recognize that maybe it's something that's painful or traumatic but you know oh it's for your own good like this is part of the process that then will be something positive. And all of that trauma we end, end up taking into our bodies, taking in as a kind of body and memory. And we see it as like a thing that's unnecessary. And by yeah. the, you know, you have some traumatic event when you're four, you can't really verbalize it or understand it. Some My kind of thing happens at eight. My mom has this terrible story about getting her tonsils out that her mom told her she was going to a party. Oh. And took her to the hospital and then they knocked her out. She was screaming. They had to like tie her to like <gasps> the table. Oh God. Knocked her out, ripped out her tonsils. And she was like, and she's always had a very like, fear of doctors like doesn't like going to the doctor it's like yeah because your earliest memory is your mom lying to you telling you you're going to an ice cream party and then you got shoved into this hospital with a bunch of strangers that strapped you to a table and ripped out your tonsils oh my god you know like that's like, traumatic i remember when julian was born he was born tongue-tied and they didn't catch it mm. until like four days five days after and he went, he got jaundiced. He couldn't Aww. feed. Oh, I yeah. was a mess. It was really bad. And we finally went to, the doctors didn't catch it. Doctors didn't see. Finally, we went to a lactation consultant, mm -hmm. midwife type woman, hippie granola, as crunchy as you get. And she's like, oh, he's tongue tied. Well, there it is. And we're like, oh my God, do you see? Thank you. Sometimes you have to go away from the hospital to somebody who deals with this yeah. on the regular. 
And then we had to go back to the hospital because okay, it had to be done. Or, you know, yeah. if this had been a hundred years ago, that woman, that same woman would have taken her pinky and broken yep. it herself. Yep. And it would have taken two seconds, a little bit of blood done. Mm -hmm. But instead we had to go back to the hospital, back to a, an emergency room situation, wait to get checked in, wait for the insurance, have the yeah. surgeon come. They had to tie the poor little baby to a papoose board. Yep. And they wouldn't let me see this because, you know, I would, they, they took me out of the room. They're like, we, we got it. And it was a nice doctor. So I was like, fine, okay, you do it. And then they brought him back right away. He was screaming like a mofo. And, and then he started to feed right away. And wow, could he feed? Like all of a Probably sudden, so hungry. what he couldn't do, he could yeah. suddenly do. But that's such a common yeah. medicinal, magical solution in that you have to cause pain. Mm -hmm to create some sort of a release, some yeah. sort of an outlet. It's like everything that we have is a, is a boil that needs to be lanced. It's really sad, yeah. but it's part and of living in- A lot of life in, is painful things. Well, that's why people call it a meat suit now. It's very popular to call the human body a meat suit. I don't know how <laughs> I feel about I that like term. That. I know, but yeah, um, but yeah it's this, it, it's it's just a hard conundrum that we find ourselves yeah. in. So any, any magic and medicine, I think Helps. everyone's constantly looking for constantly how many people talk about things like ozempic or keto or how to stay healthy or gut biome there was always a new diet mm -hmm. a new suggestion i mean when, when we new. had our best life expectancy in the last 70 years what did we also invent the most uber processed fast food oh, yeah. that is making us so sick in Colon body cancer. and mind as a human species that i don't even know where where to start Eat natural. Eat not processed. Yeah, good luck. I have a 13-year-old. That's... Well, but I, I, you know, yes. I get in there as best you do, I can. You do good. Okay, so turning now to the practitioners of this magic medicine. Um, you mentioned briefly doctors, uh, the Egyptian term being sunu. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, we could think of priests as well being involved in a lot of this. Exorcist, magicians, so there's different terms for all these people and different kind of categories. But I was looking through and they charted every person who's ever had a Sunu title. Right. Interestingly enough, there's a lot of women in the Old Kingdom who have wow. these Sunu titles, which I found very interesting. You know, the Sunu title often comes in combination with priest titles, um, so that wasn't that surprising to me. A lot of people have a priest title who have a tomb, too. Right these elites. Do we have any thoughts on how this would have functioned? Um, you know, you're sick. Do you go to this? You know, it's not like it's a career as we think of it today, right? There's not like a doctor's office mm -hmm. where you like go to see your Sunu or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, in most cases, these Sunu, the titles are usually made more specific as in Sunu of the palace, Sunu of the para'a, Sunu of the king, right? In most cases, these are people who are directly attached to the king or the palace um, that are his presumably like personal physician um, and have maybe some more training in this. There's no just like kind of clinic for the local, for Thebes or Memphis or something like this that the people are going to. These usually are the king's personal um, affiliates. And just like when we see like hairdressers and manicurists and stuff, it's like the um, prestige and power comes from being so closely connected to the king's personal body yeah. um, and stuff. So I guess to me, these Sunus seem very, like we shouldn't even kind of think of them as doctors or apply it like wholesale because like 99% of the population did not have access to these people. Yeah. And 
we're well, doing well, something different. So start with the the idea that, you, and you just hit upon this, that there's all these specializations. Mm-hmm. Like if you're a manicurist, you know how to get out an ingrown toenail, yeah. which all of us have dealt with mm-hmm. at some point or another. And having good hands and feet, that's like very related to health and... Hand health and foot health. Especially is foot health. Everything in the ancient world. Foot health is like... Eye health everything in the ancient world. So if you have somebody, I mean, you can't mechanically treat an eye in the same way that you can mechanically treat a foot um, and and make sure that little bits aren't stuck in the nail or deal with that ingrown toenail or some sort of, you know, big splinter that's been in there and is is calloused over, whatever it is. But even like wounds and stuff, right? Like, But foot, you know, we we have foot doctors. They Mm -hmm. they still exist. Um, And... I think those specializations, uh, many of the medical papyri are specialized. You have, you have papyri that are for particular acute injuries. Yeah. You have others that are for eye, I mean, eye issues. Eyes. You have some that are all for, um, it's like the proctology papyri. The wandering <laughs> right? wombs and exactly. misunderstanding the female body. Lots of intestinal maladies and yes, things like yes. that. Lots so of enemas and, <laughs> yes. and um, other things. God. So, so you have those specializations, but I think that's like your Cedar sinai mm-hmm. really nice doctor, Mayo Clinic, like where do the rich people get to go? No. That's a different thing, but it's what we have the evidence for. Mm-hmm. So how much does that evidence line up with what 95% of ancient Egyptians actually had access to? And I don't know the answer yeah, to that. So what do you think? The most people had access that, to? Or like, how are most people dealing with issues. Yeah. So I think, I think for like midwifery and stuff, that's like a separate conversation. Yeah. I think that makes a little kind of yes, kind of no. So here's, here's what I think. Like when you think of when you hurt your, uh, when you got an injury, yeah. you fell down, you scraped your, your leg, going with your broken leg. Yeah. Who did you go see As, now? When you were a kid, when you were eight years old? Um, well, it depended how bad it was. It depended on what kind of an injury yeah. it was, right? If it right? wasn't serious, my mom just did it. Right. If it was super serious, then you went to your dad. Why? Oh, no, I went to my mom. You always went to your mom. Yeah. I always went to my mom, too. No, my mom, um, my dad was not. He would say, go to your mom. Yeah. Um, if I've, something was worse, you would go to, like, the local kind of walk-in clinic that was more localized. Right. Like last case scenario was like ER to the hospital because you would sit there for hours. Right. But usually my mom would just deal with it. But I think that care and caretaking. And or this sometimes is a... we'd call my neighbor because she was a nurse. Oh, see, that's and nice. And so sometimes you I would call someone who had like, like once my dad needed stitches, but my dad did not want to go to the hospital. So then my neighbors came over and stitched him up. In, in a patriarchal society, mm-hmm. ancient Egypt was a patriarchal yeah. society. You have gender roles assigned, whether people wanted to be in those roles or not. Mm -hmm. And those people who were having the babies and bringing up the babies are generally more associated with the caretaking that comes along with sickness, Mm -hmm. um, anything from parasites to dysentery to, you know, getting the ingrown toenail out to splinters, to giving birth to fevers, to whatever, right? To caring for the old in the house. Mm -hmm. So that caretaking it so often fell upon the women and the women were the ones that had the experience. Mm-hmm. The knowledge, and yeah. The knowledge, they would pass it down. The grandmother say, would pass it down to the daughter. Somehow, the daughter yeah. would pass it down to the, the granddaughter. You know, all of these things were generationally well, still, if connected. I get sick, 
I'm 31 and I still something call happens. Call your mom. I call my mom. And, and you're she like, what's says, this weird thing? Okay, like get this. And, you know, if something happens and I'm like, I don't want to do. And what did I just tell you about? Yeah, you're always, you have and all your knowledge. And yeah. I'm always reading things and trying to figure things out. And, and I'm always getting a little bit sick. So I'm always trying to figure out what the hell's going on, and yeah. thus I, I'm. But you seek, doing, you seek. I'm always knowledge seeking. from other people. I'm right? not like avoiding. If you're sick, yeah. Right, right. Um, ask other people. But I think one of the key parts of this discussion is that what we have in the records, in the texts, is in this patriarchal society is very masculinely mm-hmm. driven and very professionally driven. Yes, good. Yeah. And and we have these titles, and you have a title of this kind of doctor and that kind of doctor connected to this kind of powerful person or that kind of powerful person. But most people who were trained in medicinal arts were women mm-hmm. working in the home, passing down those arts mm-hmm. to other women. And this could be where this dichotomy of magic versus medicine actually really gets yeah. firmly delineated maybe we're thinking like more like medieval times renaissance times right where we have like witches popping up because that's like once you actually have medicine coming up as of true profession and males take it over now and then now all of a sudden all these competition midwives and local wise women now are suddenly witches and need to be gotten rid of because i'm doctor and you're subverting my my position and my role yeah there's extraordinary mistrust of midwives today um, of a non-medicalized Doulas childbirth stuff, yeah. today. Uh, people think you're woo-woo and crazy and, oh, the, like the baby's going to come out with magic. And no, <laughs> by no means. Yeah. Um, you know how difficult it's going to be. So you engage somebody who's going to cost less yeah. um, and who's going to have a whole body-mind connection when and was... who has lots of experience mm-hmm. and is bringing in a little bit of magic that makes you feel better as the person who's going to be completely vulnerable in the moment. Yeah, so like when people were going through childbirth, for example, you know, your mom probably would be there with you, coaching you through it, because she went through it. Or maybe like the town's midwife, or like your aunt, all your aunties, and the ladies of your family that probably have been through. And then also probably the younger women who haven't experienced yet and are sitting there going, watching and experiencing it from a, you know, I, and I'm not saying that men weren't engaged in domestic, village-based medicinal care, because if we're talking about a patriarchal society, I'm not saying women never took care of the livestock. I'm sure they milked the cows yes, like anybody else. Yeah. But when your animals get sick, you've got to take care of them. They're have, your livelihood. We have veterinary papyri as yep. well. And a lot of the treatments are very similar. Very so similar. they're, you know, they're saying, okay, like, this is how it works with animals and, you know, we're an animal. And, like, so there obviously is some type of, there is a connection between um If your donkey gets sick and gets yeah. some sort of a boil and you have a similar yeah. boil, you might use the same prescription on your donkey as and you es- do on your child. Especially, like, childbirth. Like, yeah. there's one vet show on, I think, like, Nat Geo Wild or something. It's called Dr. Pole, and he's, like, a farm vet. And, like, the stuff that man does, where he puts his hand, like, I'm always, like, like it's shocking and like how they like like the level of like hands-on knowledge you could gain from being a farm vet and just like living with farm animals it's we, like we have no concept for, yeah. uh, for the, us it's, who live in cities we have no idea insane. you might have a pet and your pet might need a prescription of some yeah, kind you go to the whatever doctor. but you've never stuck your hand up a cow Bubble. to pull out the baby cow yeah. or they like wrap it in chains and they like crank it out vaginal cow juice yeah. all over your arm i mean we have or no they just cut concept. a hole in the cow and they just leave the hole open 
Oh my god. Like, so the gases could come out because the cow is bloated or something, and it's just like... This dead cow we're talking No, about. live cow! Oh my god. These animals can be put through the ringer and are totally good to go. And this is why I don't live on a farm yep. or want to live on a farm, and I'm grateful that I... But anyway, but, <laughs> but the point is, is that women and children in patriarchal societies are commodified like animals. Yeah. Don't think they're not. If your wife dies, it's it's bad. It's maybe, you know, worse than when your cow dies, but is it, you know, you lost your, your future laborers, you lost your future protectors. You got to get another wife. You got to go through all of that, your that kids. and get, you know, yeah. fi figuring out what your in-laws are going to be like the whole thing, what is going to happen with the other kids. So, and I want to put it in those stark, rational economic terms, because that that's a huge thing. And so men are going to be engaged in t t caring for child uh, for, for the of, children too yeah um and maybe would be dealing with some of the more mechanical issues rather than some of the more herbal issues but i don't want to make such a gender bias dynamic mm -hmm. but i do want to point out that women were almost certainly usually yeah. the caretakers of the children calling the dad when things were super serious yeah or but the but since the mothers and grandmothers are going to be the caretakers of the children and dealing with malady after malady after malady best. they're the ones that are frosty they know what's coming they know how to deal with things they're probably offering at their house altar like every mm -hmm. day to make sure that some inauspicious thing doesn't come in talking to their neighbors knowing something there's yeah. there's this disease over there this household's got that hunting down an ingredient for some type exactly of, oh know, i need oh, this herb this. or that has herb. it yeah i need some need crocodile go dung yeah. go get me some oh. lots of crocodile dung in these recipes yeah but um there's a lot of yeah. things that are again to your point about like to cure something you have to almost make it worse yeah there's a lot of things that are like gross that then can be made into somehow healing so all, all these like reversals of things are yeah. interesting. And, you know, we read some of these things and we laugh and we'll be like crocodile dung. They're just yeah. making themselves sicker. And that's possible. Anything's possible, but it's also possible that we have no idea what some of the properties of crocodile dung were. I don't know what it means to eat a keto diet of fish and poop that with algae and poop that shit out. I don't know what that means. So if there's some elements in there that could actually be helpful well, so for a person, many, it's possible. So I don't many, know modern medicines are developed from plants that were used medicinally and they we've isolated the compound that is the medicine part and then and it's synthesize okay. it and, then it's and now okay. it you know advil like we can go on for the rest of the episode we're going to talk a bit about like illnesses and disorders that we have we know that the egyptians suffered from um maybe just some, a couple examples we can think off the top of my head that are interesting How, what remedies are being used both more magic related and more medicinal and then i have a couple examples pulled from the medical text just i'll read aloud and great we can give thoughts on i pulled i tried to pull some like fun ones um and a lot of these have actually been you know people have looked into them on their efficacy and some of them are you know very interesting and like you know could be effective they were definitely like knew what they were doing and it wasn't just like oh we're just like combining random shit together Tying a spell over it and like making it would work like there is very much intentionality with what ingredients they're choosing um you know experimentation and scientific method involved and the egyptians in the larger mediterranean world when you look at the greco-roman texts they were they had the reputation of being mm -hmm. the best because they were mummifying bodies so they yeah. like, really knew the body well yeah and they were the first to figure out like veins and arteries and that blood was pumping through the body and 
things like that. Okay, so illness and disorders that the Egyptians suffered from, obviously this is like a whole giant swath of things. Um, obviously a lot of parasites. Like I'm trying to think of like... Things they suffered from that we don't necessarily suffer maybe from. Maybe from, yeah. Obviously they all have, you know, arthritis, they have all the stuff that we heart have. disease, yeah. you know. But in addition. In addition, <laughs> maybe things that we would, we have distance ourselves from. Yeah. So a lot of parasites, yeah. parasitical things, Which malaria. we could talk about at length. Yes. I mean, like Everyone worms, probably had that, malaria. <laughs> worms that are in your tear ducts, worms that yes, are into your feet. in your bloodstream that, that can go into your feet and go mm -hmm. into your bloodstream, worms that can live in your cartilage tissue. Yeah. I mean, like really bad stuff. Lots of parasitical issues. You Everyone think only dogs malaria. can get heartworms. Yep. I think the answer is no in no. the ancient world. <laughs> You know, I'm just thinking from that study, the Zahi Hawa study of the 18th dynasty family. I think they all had malaria. A lot of them had parasites, like uh, um, roundworm and stuff like this in their guts. Um, diabetes, obviously, they're suffering from as well. Tuberculosis, leprosy. I think tuberculosis, it's argued about how early it actually is, can be seen in Egypt. And I think the other major thing is a lot of dental abscesses abscesses and things like this that then would like fester and cause like you know major which you think we could avoid but like, not in the united states of america you know you yeah. have a tooth abscess and then the infection travels to your bloodstream and you're fucked so yeah, 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 yeah. i think a lot of times when people examine mummies they have like really bad tooth and Amenhotep the third yeah. died of a massive abscess in i just his can't jaw. imagine how painful like the, your tooth like super uh, painful and then when it bursts and all that infection spreads through your blood then yeah. i think it'd be pretty easy and fast then you just you get the high go. fever pass yeah. out and die that's yeah. all right but the pain before that, ouch, we ouch. Talk about childhood illness, yeah. right? This idea of like living to five was pretty miraculous. And think of you how know. many shots we give our kids to make it so they can live to five. Yeah, Measles, So you can avoid mumps, the whooping rubella, cough and pertussis, pertussis and all of yeah. these things, yeah. Um, urinary rectal. Oh, rectal. Oh my God, I can't I even don't imagine. Want to think about. Don't want to think about it. You know, all, as you were saying, like all the issues that come with childbirth. Mm-hmm. Um, fistula we don't have that you heal that shit you sew it up yep I mean just getting your period without the right the right pads and things or, I mean think of all the issues people have with period today like yeah. PCOS and yeah. you know heavy periods and irregular periods and not having the supplies we have today or ways of dealing with hormonal things with birth control and uh, things like that um, obviously a lot of you know just like traumatic injuries mm -hmm. to the to the body right like a lot of what normal egyptians are doing is very you know hard labor out outside yeah. hard labor like breaking your leg getting hit in the years head ago, 100 200 years ago by the cow. you could look at a person and know that they had broken their leg and it had yeah. been set in a normal village place it's and it's just broken and here yeah. we can set things better we've been able to do that you don't have people walking around with permanent limbs yep. in the ancient world that was a normal thing couldn't use that arm in that same way or mm. that finger i broke it back in that fight or whatever yeah, it was it's gonna be like and it's just gonna be like that so there, there's a lot of badly set bones you have to expect badly mm. set bones i think too an, another thing that often gets linked to um you doing something wrong like the, by the gods like the gods yeah. spiting you is like yeah. dermatological conditions like so like skin conditions that are very visible often are connected with like you must have done something and the gods are punishing you so you look this horrid way um which is interesting like how conditions get linked to mean other things um 
you know, genetic issues to psychiatric, mental illness. But I mean, go back um, to the skin conditions for a bit. Yeah. But like, <laughs> sorry, think about sorry. how many like skin conditions there are. There's so many. And when you... And you don't have treatments or proper hygiene. Obviously, yeah, psychiatric, genetic... Psychiatric, good luck. That's like a whole... I'm very interested in that. I know there's been work done in Mesopotamian context mm -hmm. about um, mental illness. Egypt, there is some talk about like melancholy and things like this. Um, I don't know what they have thought of like people who are... Depressed. Or just like actually like... But like more in like like you know schizophrenia are more like like totally gone right um, I, I think that when we're mind. talking about mental maladies it is more of a schizophrenic um personality you know psychotic breaks yeah. which where you because like depression like i don't know that maybe that would be more of like a community-based caretaking yeah People like would have been talk there about it in a different way extreme anxiety you can't leave the home i'm sure this happened yeah. in the ancient but world like things where people are having breaks with reality is would be interesting to see how that would have been viewed and treatments and understood. And Same we with, know like, epilepsy that too. there was less personal responsibility for those mm -hmm. mental maladies. And then you would bring in your exorcist mm -hmm. to get the evil spirit out or whatever it was. I don't want to say, I don't want to romanticize the ancient world and say, oh, you know, they, they didn't separate um, or they, they separated the individual from the mental malady and they wouldn't have then blamed the person. They may have had a different way of dealing with it, but that doesn't mean it was all puppies and rainbows. Or like, I mean, or like you sinned and this is like your yes. curse that you brought upon yourself. It, it, there or could something. be all kinds of things and... going on. And people in the ancient world, when they have like little kids at home and they see something that's scary that might infect them that could be catching, then they're going to behave in a very they defensive, yeah. rational manner. Is it kind? No. And I just read this whole article about societies that don't hug or say, I mm. love you, that has more to do with the c contagions and and pandemics than it does like with- Like they've been exposed more to those things. Yes, and that, that s cultures grow up around, you know, keeping a distance from mm -hmm. people, not being super cuddly, not always hugging, because the hug could kill your child. So you had a different way of showing affection mm -hmm. because close affection could- pass a scourge from one person to another yeah. and and destroy everyone so it's it's interesting that you know we've entered a time period in the last 70 years in which hugging is expected yeah. and you're supposed to say i love you and all of these things coincides with the the rise of antibiotics and like post-covid now we're a, a little bit more like I should remember, i shake like, your hand yeah. why not do we do just I... fist bump or and when people like hug nod? someone just hug me they're like i'm a hugger yeah but they had to say that or they ask permission like oh can we hug yeah or i only hug you know you hug your close friends now mm -hmm. it's a little bit more choosy i mean it's an interesting thing you could take that study so much further and ask where where are people more affectionate and where are they less affectionate? Or but, just how affection has changed post-COVID would be an interesting study like across the world. But you think of Germans as being not affectionate yeah. in a stereotypical sense. Yeah. And you think of Italians as being more affectionate people, in a yeah. st stereotypical sense. Is that because the the you know, you're closed up in a winter house in the German area yeah. where you can catch the strep throat really easily yeah. whereas in italy there's more of an outside yeah, the area stuff. You, you don't you're not italy packed was into hit the pretty same hard rooms. by the plague it, it's true it's true know, and yeah. when my grandparents came over my mother's that, told me this my grandparents my great-grandparents there was no hugging 
There was no telling their kids, I love you. My Nana told me that her mother never said any of these things, barely hugged her. She loved her mother, but this wasn't what you did with children, especially when you're, you know, my grandfather had rickets and his legs never grew. And I mean, this was just a normal... That's vitamin D deficiency. These are normal ways that you lived in the ancient world. We we didn't talk about nutritional deficiencies, right? mm -hmm. Scurvy, rickets, all of these different things. That's that's bad news too. What was the one where they needed the sun exposure? They had to put the babies out in the sun. um, That's rickets. Okay, rickets. Yeah, yeah. or or jaundice when you're really young and and you put them out. They figured out. They were like, wait, if we just put the babies in the sun, everything's fine. Mm -hmm. The vitamin D from the milk and Mm -hmm, stuff. mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, this we could go on and on, but I more want to look at the remedies that are being used because yeah. this is when yeah. we can get into more of the magic and the medicine. Yeah. So obviously medicine is a little bit easier, right? So we have like vegetable, animal and mineral materials, ingredients that are being used on the magic side of things. Healing statues. I want to talk about healing statues. Okay. How do they work? Um, I mean, a healing statue can can work in all kinds of ways, but again, that's your more magical side of things because it's it's going to be in addition to whatever medicine you apply. Mm-hmm. So it's the healing statue, I think, is it's almost purely magical, mm-hmm. where you go to the statue, mm-hmm. you pour on water or some other liquid, you retain that liquid, and you make your prayer. But then if you bring that water back mm-hmm. and you use it in a spell, ritualized medicine in some way... Are you ingesting... And you drink it, mm-hmm. yeah, then, or apply it in some way, then that water has a particular quality. And again, I, I grew up Roman Catholic, holy water is, you know, it's a normal thing. And every time I walked into the church, you would dip into the holy water, cross yourself, and that holy water was used for all sorts of purposes, to sprinkle on babies, to yep. sprinkle on the populace, yep. to cleanse us all in, in a ritualized way. And the holy water is something that I think is ubiquitous everywhere. Clean water is something that people want and need everywhere. It's also in very short supply. And it's why you would give your three-year-old beer to drink instead of water because Mm -hmm. you would be worried about an intestinal scourge of some kind. But clean water and purification, creating that sort of perimeter um, is is necessary. Yeah. Is there, you know, in a greek context where you have this idea of like sleeping in a temple to asclepius mm-hmm. and then hoping that god visits you in the night and cures your ale that's ailing you that maybe is going unfixed from med- more medicinal types of things do we have this at all in egypt of um like retreats or or stays within a sacred space and hoping for divine intervention i mean from Dura medina you have you have texts where individuals are praying Mm -hmm. that they have blindness and they pray to a particular God and then they're healed or, or something bad happened to their body and they're, you know, they're able to get it healed, but you don't read as much, at least in the bronze age that I know of, of going to, of having access to a Mm -hmm. temple. What you might have instead would be access to a statue Mm -hmm. out front or out back in a contra temple Mm -hmm. or, you leaving a certain votive, like mm-hmm. you could have a a votive in the shape of an ear. Or a foot, right? I think or a foot. So but, yeah. but the ear is also, it's not just, oh, I have a sick ear, which is possible, but it's also hear my prayer. Mm-hmm. And the it's, ear is yeah. like a catch-all. It's like anything that I need that yeah. I'm saying to the God, please go and do yeah. this. And, and I'm sure in later periods, late period and Greco-Roman period, a lot of those animal mummies had to do with asking 
for a quick ticket to the gods that you could heal a particular it's malady. It's like an indulgence almost, right? Like mm -hmm. in a more Catholic sense, mm -hmm. you're asking for like a, a leg up to get past all the other prayers and things. Prayer itself, like you were talking about two household shrines, making, contacting maybe your ancestors or a local um, effective ancestor who has now been deified. And then of course there's the evidence that Anne Austin is found at Daryl Medina in the form of a human body, a, a woman who is covered with tattoos mm -hmm. and who actually has on her throat that she is speaking goodness. Mm -hmm. And that that kind of a magical practitioner would almost certainly have been used as a healer. Perhaps as a rahit, which gets translated as like the one female one who knows, this mm -hmm. wise woman idea, that she has some special access. Yeah, And there are texts from Jill Medina mm -hmm. that talk about payments to the rahit for yep. certain help with, with maladies. The fact that, you, that she's found a body of but such a woman is amazing. And to be covered young, with those tattoos. Which is also cool. Yes. So it's like, because when we think of wise women, we think of this like old craggedy. Have they aged her? Yeah, she's young. They're what? all, yeah. She's oh, like wow. In her 20s. Oh, wow. So maybe she, maybe that wasn't part of their idea of a wise woman. We I think we think of wise women as very old. Or maybe she was an apprentice or getting started. And the tattoos, there's looking at the tattoos, they're all not, you know, they're done over time. Yes. You can see the different aging. Of, so it's like, it wasn't just like she got all these tattoos all at once, that there was, you know, over time. And so her being still a, a pretty young individual is interesting too. Like when did her, her role start? When did she start receiving tattoos? When did her receive her powers? And yeah. And then what she would have used for her practice, we have no idea. So if we have a magical statue, a healing statue in yeah. a temple in the late period, that's the late period. That's the Iron Age. What did they have in the Bronze Age yeah. that a woman like that, a healer like that would have had access to? What kind of amulets? What kind of implements and tools? In Hekka. Yeah. In Hekka, to, to channel her Hekka. Mm -hmm. and did you go to her because she had more access to it? She knew how to get it. She knew those spells. So you would go to someone with this special position that could intercede on your behalf. Sometimes there are implements that are found in the archaeological record that are helpful, like like the wands from the mm -hmm. Middle Kingdom mm -hmm. made of an elephant tusk. And you can tell from the shape that it's a, an mm -hmm. elephant tusk. It's been sliced and yeah. is flattened. Um, it's like a flat so slice of an elephant yeah. tusk. And it's got all of these scary Demon demons, things. like a best figure looking Cats. full frontal with its yeah. tongue out, a hippo, Tawaret yeah. kind of goddess a frog or something, but all these things that are associated with, with fertility, yes. protection, yeah. Um, yeah. wholeness, all, it's, it's, that's a very useful thing. And the thinking is that those were used to draw a circle around mm -hmm. the, in, the victim, the individual who was, or, who or was um, not child well. Childbirth too. Childbirth you know, as to like well. To mark a space that's saved so things can't come get you while mm -hmm. you're in this very vulnerable position. Yeah. Um, birth bricks too are often kind of I feel like charged um, to create like a sacred space or, or protected space. Yeah. Um, but I guess my point here is that oftentimes, again, the point of this whole episode is like making these distinctions between magic and medicine. I feel like they were often go hand in hand and maybe you would go to the wise woman and she would say a spell, but then also say, mix that honey with whatever and put it to the wound and then say a spell over it. So it was both a very practical um, mechanical application but also bringing in something maybe to provide trust, to give you comfort. Uh, let's go through some examples. Yeah. Okay, so this one's from Papyrus Ebers. And this one's cool. So, to prevent conception. 
So this is a birth control method. Smear a paste of dates, acacia. I don't really know uh, what of the acacia tree we're working with, but like just a acacia, gum, I guess. Maybe part of the, yeah, the sap or, or something. Or acacia pod. So paste of dates, acacia, honey, two wool. And two make, wool, what does that mean? So I guess to like a clump of wool. Oh, okay. You're putting dates, acacia, and honey. So you're making yeah. this kind of goopy yeah. plug. Oh, you need the wool to be the wool plug. You apply the, you oh, to, apply to a piece of wool. I get it now. To a okay. piece of wool. I'm, I'm with you're you now. You're making this like so goopy wool thing. Well, because Egyptians are all one or two or three. Yeah. And I was I thought it was the number two. I understand that. To wool and apply as a pessary. Oh my God. So you stick it up there. So you stick it up there. So and that's a, a plug. It's a diaphragm. It's a diaphragm. That's wonderful. And, you know, this kind of, you know, maybe acidic, dates, sweet, honey, maybe, you know, very anti-sperm friendly. And that's the same with the crocodile dung one, right? It's it's this idea of being a physical blocker um, a that creates a environment that makes spermies unhappy and they die. And they also physically cannot get through to the cervix. And and so clever, you apply it to wool so you, create, so like, you can little... pull it out again. Mm-hmm. Like you make a little tampon with honey. And, and you dates. don't apply it to linen, arguably, because that's too permeable. And it doesn't, I feel like, absorb as much. Like wool, Linen you can doesn't make, like, absorb. A plug, it's true. It's you know? true. Conception. So yeah, they had a very clear idea of like, you need to block semen from getting to a source, right? They have a very clear notion of well, how conception's working. Also here. in a patriarchal society... They had an understanding that sometimes a woman does not want to have a baby or need to yeah, have I'm a like, baby. I'm wondering who this is applying to when it was okay to apply this conception measure. Because in more modern patriarchal contexts, conception is, you know, by the Catholic Church, for example, is evil and wrong and bad, bad, right? God blesses you with these babies. You should not be trying to not have one. Um, so is it like, you know, when, in what circumstances are women given the the freedom of choice here. Mm-hmm. What free will do they have to make these decisions? We we don't have any. You know, this is a papyrus that. that just has a bunch of different rem- issues and remedies. Right. Um, so it's interesting to think about again who has this knowledge and um, from the same papyrus. So papyrus ebers again. We have to kill the roundworm. Hmm. Um, bark of the pomegranate root. Water. Keep moist. So you're combining bark of the pomegranate root and water. Like a powder. Like a powder. You're like letting, and then you, so you keep it moist, strain it, and take for one day. And that's it. Post to kill roundworm. Extraordinary. So something in the pomegranate and roots we know often have concentrations um, of alkalines or some types of, yeah, they're like, you know, where where chemicals or things like that are more concentrated within a plant. you know, for plants that are poisonous, the roots are often the most poisonous part of the plant. So maybe of this pomegranate, maybe the root bark is somehow antifungal, antiparasitical in some way. One day, just one day. So it's one day. That's a pretty like that's a that good. Must have, that must be some strong root. <laughs> I was gonna say it makes you shit your brains out. Probably. probably. It... But yeah, lots of wormies. I don't know. Probably had. What's the one that people take to get skinny? Ozempic? <laughs> no, the worm. Oh, a tapeworm. <laughs> a tapeworm. <laughs> like, Ozempic. Ozempic. That's all everyone talks about. I know. Ozempic. I'm uh, not doing it. I'm going to be fat. I'm going to be no, fat and yeah, not take Ozempic. It's not worth That's not. Yeah. Okay. So this next one is about um, for wounds. There's mm-hmm. a whole papyri focused on wounds. Um, so if you're squeamish, maybe skip the next like 30 seconds because it's a little graphic. 
So instructions concerning a perforation of the temple. So someone got hit hard on the side of their head. Ouch. I think perforation meaning more like just a wound or a gash or something. Not like no, I think it's like a, like a hole in head your, injury. Yeah, like a head wound. Yeah. Yeah. So if you examine a man having a perforation of his temple a, with a wound being upon it, you should inspect his wound. Good. Saying to him, look at your shoulders. Should his doing this be painful, even though his neck turns only a little, while the eye on the side, while his eye on the side of his head is bloodshot, right? So they're testing if he can look and move his neck after getting hit on the head and if his eyes are bloodshot, so maybe concussion type of treatment. You should say, one, having a perforation in his temple while he suffers stiffness in his neck, an ailment which I will treat. So making the diagnosis that you've suffered, you know, this issue. And that I will treat it, which and, means some things you're like, go with God. Yeah, yes, yes. Some <laughs> things maybe you don't know how to treat. Uh, you should put in his mooring stakes. You should put him in his mooring stakes. So maybe like bed rest. I no, think. or maybe you hold him down. Mm -hmm. Until the down? period of his injury passes. Oh, so like bed rest or some type of traction. Traction, yeah, traction, mooring stakes. Yeah. You're pulling his body. Yeah, so you're putting him in traction. And you should treat with grease, honey, and lint. So maybe, again, this like kind of wool, wool post poultice on the wound until he recovers. <laughs> so immobilize him and treat the wound, which is, you know. It's clever. And this would, this is from the Edwin Smith. Okay. Um, which has more like uh, acute Edwin trauma. Edwin Smith is more acute trauma, like yeah. leg breaks, yeah. um, things like this. Okay, so this is from the gynecological papyrus. Examination of a woman um, whose all of whose limbs are ill, aching with aching in the socket of her eyes. You should say of it, it is deprivation of the womb. No beer drinking has been allowed for the condition of a fresh birth. Again, some of these things are hard to interpret. You should treat it with one portion of dough and water drinking for um, one plus X because it's broken mornings. What? So this, this connection between ills, limbs being ill, aching in the sockets, and then it being their diagnosis is a deprivation of the womb with no Beer drinking, so abstinence from beer drinking. In so she should be drinking beer? That's what it seems like, yeah. No beer drinking has been allowed for the condition of a fresh birth. So maybe something post-birth, some type of infection, post... Um, and her limbs, that's her, her legs and her arms. Legs and arms, yeah. And the sockets, that's the sockets of the legs and arms? Mm -hmm. So some kind of joint Socket pain? of her eyes. Socket of her eyes. Her eyes aching. I mean, it just doesn't sound good. No. And what's the cure? You you create some Dough fermented some fermented yeah. yeast. It's he's giving her yeast, mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Dough and water for one plus X days because the the papyri is broken. Um, let me find one more gynecological. Oh, here's one. Examination of a woman aching in her calves. I mean, calves it happens. Hurt. You should apply for it strips of linen soaked in resin. If sweet, when she is done, it means she will be healthy. If the product is foul, that means there's an issue with the womb. 
Okay, here's what I've got for that. If it's bad, in my, it means there's something wrong with you. In my limited medical experience, when your calves seize up, you're usually magnesium deficient. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so maybe treat- Or potassium, right? Too? Or potassium mm -hmm. deficient, thank you. Some sort of mineral deficiency. Yeah. So maybe putting tree resin on so, your okay. legs. So the treatment for the fowl removal is a cup of oil poured over her legs and placing resin on her after doing this. So the resin must have some sort of mineral content mm -hmm. that can go through the skin. And so that's or helpful. Or even like massage. Oh, yeah. If there's some type of fluid buildup or, I don't know, um, like lymphatic fluid or something like this causing pain or something like that. But I think, you know, if you have like one of those leg spasms in the night and you yes. get them all the time and then you take a mineral, a mixed mm -hmm. mineral, then you almost always feel better. Uh, so that's that's the best I've got. <laughs> that one. I don't yeah, some know. of these are hard to kind of make sense of. Yeah, they like, really what? are. Here's one. Okay. Determining a woman who will conceive from one who will not. So how to tell if someone's fertile or not. You should make fresh oil um, and you should break, 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 question mark. <laughs> if the vessel of her innards are found distended, you should say it is the birth. If you find it limp, you should say she will give birth late. The end. <laughs> so they're putting the oil somewhere. Presumably inside of her, because then it says if her innards are distended, that means she's about to have birth, like she's ready. I mean, I, I suspect they're doing this anally. If you find it, it How limp, are you going to put that up? I mean, vaginally, if you how find do you put limp, oil up her vagina to make yet. anything become distended? Are you palpating in there? I don't know. I, I know for, for cows, so maybe again this comes from the Please, you who watch veterinary shows. To check pregnancy of cows, they go up the rectum. That's what I'm saying. And you I can think feel, it's a rectal thing. You can feel all this stuff, so maybe they're taking this from I veterinary medicine. I think it's a medicine. rectal thing. And the Egyptian doctors, they love to do rectal shit. No pun, inten pun intended. I mean, well, and these also... these are things this, that are nearby that you can... But also this prescription spell, whatever we call these things, it's it indicates that you would check a woman mm -hmm. to make to sure that ready. she was marriageable yeah as a as the commodity the future commodity of your household yeah one who's like one who's yeah fertile maybe who's yeah mm -hmm. and one wonders if they got this kind of thing from livestock checking because um, they would have checked these things before oh, you yeah. buy a cow you're gonna or, or a young female cow right you're gonna check it and be like is this well, gonna give me more cows any more cows need to cow. keep her pregnant need a good cow so why wouldn't you do the same thing to your young human females? Which is disturbing, but not unsurprising. We'll end with this one because it's funny. Okay. <clears throat> well, I'll, we'll do two more because the yeah. one above it also is funny. Okay. Okay. So one, examination of a woman bedbound, not stretching when she shakes it. Unclear. I don't know what shaking is happening and what it is. Bedbound. But, but not stretching. So she's a stiff bedbound lady. Maybe, yeah. Presumably maybe pregnant. Yeah, in this no, case. I don't know. No, she's an old lady. Okay, so you should say of it. So here's the diagnosis. It is clenching of the womb. Okay, so she's, she's got clenched womb. Sucks. You should treat it by having her drink two hen of beer, have her throw it up once, and she will be better. Have her throw it up once. <laughs> so you have to get her wasted. Get her wasted, have and her throw it up, and be, then she'll be she better. She won't be clenched of womb anymore. Oh, that's extraordinary. 
There you um, go. So it's a way of releasing all the muscles somehow. Yeah, it seems to be really So I, I like your idea that it's somebody who's like having a really hard period. A period, yeah. Really tough and alcohol is a menstrual pain, cramps. Pain relieving. Give her the sense. alcohol, let her throw up, it relieves all the cramping. Yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. Oh, you just oh the damn womb and all the problems it causes. It's really awful. It makes us all hysterical. Okay, we'll end with this one. Examination of a woman with aching in her urine. So maybe ache. Like, it hurts when she pees. It hurts when she pees. And does she have a bladder infection? Or common must have been common. I can't even imagine. Uh, you should say of it. Diagnosis. It is discharges of the womb. So maybe not having a very clear distinction between the urinary and vaginal tract, perhaps, and kind of messing them but up. But the two were connected. The two I were mean, often connected. Yeah. Yeah. In that, I mean, in that having sex can introduce bacteria into the yeah. urinary tract, and thus I don't know. You have also, issues. what like, um, like sexual. STDs they had at this time. But oh, like, probably so many. Like chlamydia and stuff also yes. has birdie urine, but also yeah. has maybe discharge. We didn't related. talk about STDs yeah. at all, Jordan. Oh my God. So lady has <laughs> birdie urine. Doctor says discharge of the womb. You should treat it with. So here's the... I'm ready. I'm ready. Beans. Beans. The pear shenny plant, whatever plant that is. See, see, this is why it's so difficult. This is why it's hard because there's all, these, there's all these plants that we don't really know what yeah. plant they're referring to. Yeah, so frustrating. So beans, the parrot, parrot shiny plant. And what plant. kind of beans? They have a lot of variation yeah, too. beans, green beans. Yeah. What are we working with? So beans, the parrot shiny plant, the moot parts. And we know moot, having taken my magic and medicine class with Kate Bonashow, moot was the term in Egyptian for like the vessels oh. of your body. How is it spelled? Moot. Like with the vulture. Oh, um, no, it's like... Um, oh, moo, like waters. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like that of the waters. Mm -hmm. Like pathways. Wait, that, that's great. So moot parts, which I also... The moot parts of the goo plant. So again, we're working with all these plants, and we have no idea what these parts are. But so a part of a plant, another mysterious plant, and beans. Grind those all up. Refine with one jar of beer. So you're adding some beer in, refining all this down. Boil. So now you're boiling it, which is good. Boiling is good. Cleaning stuff. Yeah. Drink it for four mornings. Spend one day. This is this is an intense one. This one has a big. Spend one day. It's a big finish. <laughs> one night fasting. So you drink this shit for four mornings. Then you got to fast for a day and a night. The morning after, drink another hin, which is a, a measurement of an Egyptian measurement, like a jar, let's say. Of the same liquid, so you drink four, fast for a day, drink another jar of it, and then you spend another day fasting until the next breakfast, and you will be cured of your achy urine. Huh. Which I'm very, which I get because a lot of, um, for people who get bladder infections, often one of the older remedies is to drink beer because it's a diuretic and it makes you pee. And the more you pee, the more you flush out the bacteria and get rid of it. You know, you can just... Like one of this, if you don't want to do antibiotics and stuff, one of the ways to get rid of it is just like drinking a shit ton of water and peeing a bunch. But beer is good because beer makes you pee a lot. And so you just pee a bunch and you can flush out the system. And then you drink it and then you fast. And so you it fast stays there and, and like kind maybe, of seals it up a little yeah. bit. And then you drink it again and then you to drink try another to clean it out. To like make sure you got it all. 
Interesting. Very interesting. I mean, I would like to point out And that I don't with, know what other these plants maybe have some type of antibacterial I'm sure they did. properties or something. I'm sure they did. I mean, I'd, I'd like to point out that from what you've read, there's very little magic involved. Very little magic. It's nope. a lot of medicine and a lot of... A lot a very, of like, di diagnosis-based, yeah. like, how do you logically work through it? Um, if you see this, then it means that. Uh, it, it's um, and and there's so much that we don't understand, and yeah. so many lacuna in the text that yeah, I'm that, trying to pick the ones that are more complete because some yeah. of them are so broken that it's like determine if a woman can conceive. Put a finger, and then that's it. <laughs> and you're like, where's the finger going? <laughs> <laughs> Here's one that's a little bit more magical. Okay, okay, again, it's a little broken, so bear with us. That calf of Horus blank. I am on blank Horus. And vice versa, go down to the place from which you blank. Formula that is said, if it comes down from her nostril, she will give birth. If it comes down from her womb, she will give birth. If then blank, she will not give birth. Done. It's like they've given her a cup of beer and made her laugh and tickled her. Yeah. And if she spews out her nose. But something about then... <laughs> Horus, it's something about a calf of Horus beginning though. Oh. So something mythological is related as like yeah. a metaphor or something. And then and then there's the typical like if then. If you place a bundle of onions on the belly, blank. If you find in it, you should say she will give birth. If you don't find it, I don't know what this it is, she will not give birth ever. Ever. So you put those onions on the belly and if something happens. Oh my God. I think it's like they put it on the belly and then if you smell her breath and it smells like like onions or something, then she will give birth or something. I know if there's, there's like onions, then she won't then give birth ever. Not. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of these are very hard to... Here's one treatment of burning being put on a birth brick. So maybe this is adding in some ideas of um, women being you know, birth works being used during pregnancy for removing the tiau pain of the womb. Crush and have her sit with her legs apart upon sweet beer. Which maybe it's cooling. I don't know if like beer would help with post womb pain. I mean, she's in a little bath. She's in a zitz bath. A little bath, yeah. And a zitz bath is like a normal thing for, for people that have, you know. Gone through a traumatic there's a lot experience. of wounding down there, yes. let us say. It's not puppies and rainbows. Yeah. It's it's more visceral than you can imagine. Having done it once, which was enough. And then I didn't do it again. Here's a woman. Okay, we'll end on this one because I could just keep going on and on because they're so interesting. A no, woman, no, they're good. No, don't. It's good. A These woman are good. aching in her teeth and molars to the point that she cannot blank. So presumably maybe eat. eat. Or something, her something in her mouth. So yeah, probably chew or eat or something yeah. like that. You say it's a toothache of the womb. <gasps> Poor lady. And you know, she's just trying to go to so the she dentist. She has a toothache, and but they're, they're saying it all it's, on her femininity. It's your womb. Oh god, manifesting somewhere else, and you should treat it by fumigating her with incense. And Where? Oil. Poor, what probably anally. It's gonna be anally. Well, down the poor there. Poor woman's got a toothache. This is some misogyny here. Well, this is not in the fair. womb. So you're fumigating probably her Whatever. Area this is this is with really... incense and oil in one jar. And then when do you take out the tooth? Hold on. Wait. Uh, pour over her the urine of a donkey. Oh, the poor lady. That was created like the day it passed. 
So maybe old urine of a donkey. So mm, no, the day it passed from the day she peed it. Oh, okay. The day the donkey peed it. The donkey it. peed it. Yeah. If she still aches in the front of her navel to her buttocks, it's a worm. Holy moly, poor woman. She's got she a toothache. She just has a toothache. <laughs> She's got a toothache, you know? She can't chew. They're fumigating her, pouring donkey urine on her, and then they're like, if you still hurt, that means you have worms. <laughs> I mean, they used to get estrogen when when I was growing up. My nana would From have to take animals, estrogen right? for after a hysterectomy. They, they used um, horse urine to get mm-hmm. the estrogen. That's a woof. common thing. So, yay. You said woof. You just did that. I did go woof. Uh, <laughs> but if you need it, you need it. And you're going to oh, get yeah. it some way. I mean... But, I mean, I would say the donkey urine would be useful in other circumstances. But the poor lady's got a toothache. Yeah. And can't no. eat. So this is what we say. You know, some of the things make logical sense. We can see where they're kind of coming from. Other ones clearly are going down the wrong um, avenue. Yeah. Down the wrong path. But if we picked up some medical texts and and practices from 1910, I feel we would find similar things. Pre germ theory, pre, you know, microscopes and... Just read a little Freud and you're like, really, dude? Really? So, continuing to make progress in leaps and bounds. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, this is just part of um, the history of medical science. But, yeah, so this was fun. Um, I hope you all enjoyed it. I mean, it's a huge topic. All, All we do... All I do is think about health and medicine yeah. and nutrition and what I should be eating and why this isn't working and why I'm getting old in that way. So since it's all I'm thinking of, I suppose it's all the ancient Egyptians were thinking of too. And one could talk about it for forever. But thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. This is... Afterlives of Ancient Egypt. Bye. Bye. Thank you to our listeners for your support and please subscribe. It's a big deal with all the platforms, so subscribe. If you enjoyed the show, share it with all your friends, and most importantly, leave us a five-star review. It really helps with all those aforementioned platforms. Send all those ancient world questions and topic suggestions for future episodes to karakuni at gmail.com. We read them all. You can find info on all my books, articles, and upcoming lectures on my website. Just head to karakuniegyptologist.com. Amber puts all that together. Oh my God, thank you, Amber. Join our vibrant and subversive online community at patreon.com slash afterlives and get access to our private Discord server where Jordan and I can connect with our listeners far, far away from all those toxic social media spaces. And do not forget to check out our Substack Ancient Now at ancientnow.substack.com where we share perspectives on all that history and archaeology news every week and continue the conversations that happen after the podcast mic is turned off. You can find me on Facebook at Kara Cooney Egyptologist and on Twitter and Instagram at Kara Cooney. Thanks to the team at Patina Productions for this podcast, which I must point out is wholly separate from my academic work at UCLA. See you next time on Afterlives of Ancient Egypt. <laughs>